I'm David Kern. I'm Ian Andrews. And we are here to battle. Oh, it's time. <laughs> this is a, this is close reads. It's a podcast for the incurable reader on which we are going to be discussing Amazon's adaptation of Rings of Power. Now, as a bookshop owner, far be it from me to defend Amazon. And yet, <laughs> and yet we did a little bit last time we were on. Yep. Some people were um, there was rejoicing among certain people that, that we defended it the way we did. Yeah. There was gnashing of teeth among others. Uh, and then some people didn't listen. I think those were the only three camps. <laughs> yeah, those are the camps I can think of. But we're here to discuss because we've watched the whole thing. All, what is it, eight episodes have been released. We yes, watched sir. it all. And we're here to discuss the the, uh, the finale, the final episodes. And I think what we'll do is we're going to talk about it totally sp- spoilers included. So if you haven't watched it or don't want it spoiled... This would be the place to go, stop. Go away, yeah. Um, we also are thinking that if there's enough interest, and we'll see what happens after we put this episode up, if there's enough interest, we will do a, another episode to kind of follow up on comments or questions right. that arise among the audience. So if you have a comments or a question, please feel free to leave it on closereads.substack.com, just on the comment section underneath this post. You can post them under there. Or if you want to, you can post them over on Facebook, but Facebook can get a little bit unwieldy sometimes as more and more content comes. So if you want to just go to closereads.substack.com, find this post. If you're listening to this on a uh, on an app, post it there. You can also email them to me at david at goldberrybooks.com if you want. But the easiest place for us is to just do it in that, underneath the, the post itself on, 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 on Substack. So, But Ian, uh, are you first of all, that's that's kind of I want to do this in a little bit of a in an unfair way. <laughs> right on. I love that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Unfair to both of you and to the show in some ways. So when you look back at this whole season, uh-huh. Can you just grade what 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 score, what grade would you give the show in general? I I mean, I I know we're going to talk about it, but like let's look at it kind of overall. Um uh, let's say let's do a let's do like a 100 point scale. As if you're a teacher. Okay. Which you are. I am, in fact. Um, hmm, I think I would give it... A, Don't say like 83.5 because that's, that's... No. Yeah, that's... There's dumb. no defense for such something like that. That's exactly right. I think I would give it a B plus, maybe ranging up into a low A minus. Okay. So we're going to say 10 point scale, not that weird seven, eight point scale that some schools use. Right. Uh, and we're going to say that, so you're thinking like 89, 90, yeah. right yep. around there. I think I would give it between an 88 and a 92, somewhere in there. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I was thinking, I was thinking 85 to 90. So I think we're kind of in the same yep. range, like a B to a B plus. There are some things that I think are flawed. And what I'd like to do first, just for the sake of the people who don't care for it or are annoyed with us for being so positive last time, <laughs> let's talk about, let's just get out of the way some of the Grapes. things that we think the, the show didn't do great. Yeah. And, and then we can get into some of the things we think it did well and then some lingering questions for season two. One of the things that I was really intrigued by is the way that the, the creators of the show came out and said, look, yeah, we had to make some changes to build this world, to get into the story, to bridge a gap for people who are not Tolkien aficionados. Right. And even some who may never have watched the movies, although there's not going to be many of those. Uh, but maybe there's but there's a lot of people who only have watched the movies exactly, and they don't care about the legendarium or the specifics of it. And so they said, yeah, we had to make some changes to get into the story to to build out the world. And next season, 
the purists are going to be much more happy because they said it's going to be a little bit closer to canon. Yeah, what he said is, we're going to give you the canonical story you were probably expecting or that you wanted in season one. Yeah, right. So I thought that was really interesting. So do you view that as something that for you, it's like, that's something you're going to complain about. That's one of your negatives. Uh, you know, my instinct with this kind of thing, and this is this goes, this is like uh, unpacking decades of trauma from being a, a generally positive, upbeat guy who likes to be entertained. Like I had no future as an art critic, none, because like I didn't really, I was never interested even coming along through school in pointing out the weaknesses of, of this work or that work. I was way more interested in like finding reasons to have a good time, um, which doesn't stand me in great stead. However, I will say I've spent so much time with the Tolkien Legendarium that there were a couple of things in this show that were affronts <laughs> that I was like, whoa, that was wrongheaded and unnecessary. Um, so like what? Well, I mean, are we to the point where we're going to start doing individual gripes here? Or are we still doing, you know, let's, let's get some out there for the sake yeah. of conversation and to make the, you know, the, 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 the we don't want people to just turn the show off because we're being too nice. Right. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, Mithril ish, mm-hmm. just ish, dude. Like why? That was not the origin story that they decided to write and the centrality of Mithril to the elven spiritual health, if I could call it that, is not only not canonical, but also silly and not in a good way. Like it's silly, dumb. And I I don't think that that was necessary. I I can see maybe reasons that they did it. Like, okay, we're trying to establish... Um, first of all, a parallel to the Legolas and Gimli relationship between Elrond yep. and Durin. Um, yep. Their friendship, by the way, works works from my perspective. I really enjoy that. That's one of my favorite parts of this first season. Mm-hmm. But so we're trying to establish that, and we're trying to lay the groundwork for conflict between the elves and the dwarves that's going to happen in the third age, which comes later. And that is mm-hmm. the back, the backdrop of elven dwarven relations in, in the Peter Jackson films and in the trilogy of books. And, right? and Legol- and why it makes Legolas and Gimli's Relation- friendship yes. special. Yeah. And healing. And like the, you know, there's some sort of reunion of their people groups in that friendship. So, okay, we're trying to do all of that. So let's, let's first of all, draw in politics and then also make this of ultimate importance to both races. How can we do that? And they decide to light on Mithril. And then I just don't see that. I don't see a justification for, for making, first of all, making of the elves, some sort of giant, like walking living batteries that need like sunlight in order to stay young and healthy. And then, and then trying to like jam all of that, like, spirituality into this this ore that the dwarves are mining and then like writing an elaborate backstory for how the ore got these spiritual qualities and like that it just was dumb dude like it was really dumb for me i really did not enjoy that so mithril then it's all over the place it's not just in like the minds of moria right in in real life well, not, not real life. Right. In, 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 <laughs> we have all stepped inside this world. Um, in the story. So Tolkien didn't write a whole lot about it. Um, if you go look at like the full listing of the of the, the number of times that the name Mithril is mentioned, it's mm-hmm. ones that even viewers of the films would know by and large. Like it's it is the sh- the mail shirt that Bilbo receives as payment for helping the dwarves regain mm-hmm. their their home from Smaug. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mentioned as the essential component of Galadriel's ring and 
Gandalf in explaining the male shirt that Frodo's wearing that he inherited from Bilbo talks about it. Um, other places it appears are in the building of Erendil's ship, um, in the helm. So, so it is, it's a, it's a Numenor. It's available in Numenor. Too, it is. Then. It's available yeah. in Numenor. It's available in Eregion. It's available in Khazad-dûm. So, but, but just to, just to clarify, your complaint is not, oh, they just put it in Khazad-dûm. Your complaint is that they tied it to the life force yes. of the elven people. Yes. Because here's the thing about, about Tolkien. One of the reasons his work succeeds and has such, such gravitas and such stature is that he doesn't make magic a practical art. He assumes the presence of the supernatural. He assumes the presence of an animating deity outside the bounds of the world that created it, right? But he doesn't, for example, make, um, make different religious faiths of that assumption. He allows that spiritual reality to hang over his world and to lend it substance without talking about it very much. Same thing is true of the spells that Gandalf is weaving, right? Or the ways that these rings actually work. What sort of power is bound up in these rings? He uses things like malice and the will to control all life. Instead of saying, well, what the ring does is it activates this particular little thing in the physical world and causes it to bind itself together. Like some, some works by like Brandon Sanderson, who's, a, who's a, uh, another famous fantasy writer, author in our own time. Um, he has these intensely concrete magical systems where like you know, a person will ingest a particular ore and allows them to control that ore in everything around them. Right. And like, they're really cool. Like they're ingenious systems that he's built, Mm -hmm. but it makes the magic very practical, very scientific. It's like an accounting project, right? If it doesn't Mm -hmm. work physically, then it would be cheapened. Tolkien doesn't do any of Mm -hmm. that. It's high fantasy. He doesn't describe the intimate details of how Gandalf's magic works. And I think that's part of the reason the story hangs together and this in the show is a big step away from that ethos. Like, let's go ahead and make the the immortality of the elves something tactile and physical and explainable. Mm-hmm. And my response to that is, get get out of here, dude. Like, get out of here with that nonsense. I'm not into it. So, okay. It did have to do with the making of the ring, though. Mithril did. And they yes. showed that. Yes. Um, but what about the Silmarils? Like, that... Those are not Mithril. So and so that was pure creation, right? There's not yes. even an allusion to anything. Not that I can find. People say yeah. that there's like there's some fragment of Tolkien's notes somewhere that talks about the story of the battle between the like they like they do in the show, the battle between a Balrog and and an elf, you know, a descendant mm-hmm. of Feanor or whatever. Um, if that's true, I haven't read it. I'm not going to say it isn't true, but um, it certainly wasn't a part of the published manuscripts in the Silmarillion or in the appendices or in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and it, Tolkien does do a lot of drawing on Norse mythology. And yeah. so battles like that are present. Um, yeah. So it, it might be that that's a, they, they took that from some, some legend that Tolkien was sort of obliquely referencing or something, but it's not, it's not canon. They invented it for the show. Okay, so what other gripes do you have besides uh, my gripe of uh, we don't need so much slow motion riding on the beach? Yeah, that was that was also terrible. Um, let's see, major gripes aside from the mithril, I can't think of anything huge. Like there were some tone problems throughout that I was concerned by, but the the finale fixed it for mm-hmm. me. Like the finale okay. fixed it. I got done with with the last episode of the show and I was like, that was 
that was excellent. Like I texted you, like, don't, don't waste any time. Get in there and watch this thing. Like it was, yeah, yeah. it yeah. was tremendous. And all along I'd been hoping that out of all of these weird little missteps and think like, like, why are we dealing with the Harfoots? And is this stranger guy going to be Gandalf or is he going to be Sauron? That's going to be confusing as heck. And like, who is Halbrand? Is he going to be Galadriel's love interest? Get the frick out of here, dude. Then she brings up Celeborn, her husband, and like you can interpret the they're vague, you know, maybe he's mm. she hasn't seen him since then. But the assumption is that he's dead. She's assuming that he's dead. OK, so we're just going to clear Galadriel's husband who appears in the Peter Jackson films in the third age. We're going to clear him out to make room for this weird relationship yeah. she has. But with this random mortal. Like, but then if you dig a little bit, you do. There is a there is a story where she watches him go off to battle. Right. So. You know, and doesn't see there in the in the books or in the appendices. There is a part where it says that she doesn't see him for a long age. Right. So, right. You know, you just have to kind of like the, the you fear, kind of like go with them. The fear, exactly. And the fear is that where they're taking you is ultimately not going to be awesome. And I think that fear was alive through seven episodes, especially when the Mithril thing happened. I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to do so much recanting. Like I've been, I've been defending these guys and I'm going to have to like eat crow on the air. This is going to be <laughs> terrible. And then the finale comes out and I, I actually feel very justified in having defended this show. Like the finale proved to me that they were interested in Tolkien's world, not in using his world to create their own, mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. were, honestly trying to represent his thematic content, his ideas in the way that they mm-hmm. wrote, write their show. Mm-hmm. And that this really was a setup. Like this felt like exposition because it was exposition. Mm-hmm. And they finally tied everything together in that last episode and said, okay, now we can start telling a story. And I'm stoked. So let's talk about the finale then, because let's talk about the stranger and let's talk about Let's talk about Sauron, those two. Because I think the big thing that people were that was like those were both pretty predictable in a way. Like yeah. you know, they were and 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 what is the predictability of the the ultimate reveals annoying to you at all? Or does it work for you? It worked for me. Um I guess it worked for me because I don't see how they could have done it differently. Um, especially given McKay's comments um after the finale was released. One of the things that he said is, okay, now Sauron can be Sauron. And if we had mm-hmm. revealed him any earlier, he would have hung over the show and there would have been no questions. There would have been no tension. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think their decision to wait till the end of season one to reveal his identity is just good storytelling. It's also not inconsistent with Tolkien's notes because he has that whole passage I sent to you where it talks about, um, it's in... One of the books. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head where it is, but it's, it talks it's about... It's in the Silmarillion, which they don't technically have access to, but... They don't technically have access to, but they can, you know, they, they're using it as inspiration, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. But it talks about how he he was with Morgoth, right? And then he, for a while, he was not as evil. Right. Kind of. And then he comes back around. And so... Um, well, and it's an interesting parallel in that moment, too, to the Galadriel story, because... Right. He more or less is, he's a, he's a Maya. So he's in, in the order of being in Tolkien's world, he's equal to Gandalf, right? Like he's a, he's an angel's uh, helper more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's invited to go back and repent to the Valar and receive a sentence of some kind. Like he convinces mm-hmm. 
his authorities, his hires up, that he was deceived by Morgoth and that he wants to help remake the world, et cetera, et cetera, and then refuses to go receive a sentence and sinks back into evil because of that, which is, mm. just, I mean, it's a great parallel to the Elven story. I mean, that's, that is exactly what has happened to the remnants of the Eldar and the Naldor that are in Middle Earth. Mm. And of course, he was sort of surreptitiously involved in the creation of the rings with Cele- with Celebrimbor and not even um, surreptitiously taught him how to do but it. But like but like under he was disguised though, right? He was at that point as Anatar. Anatar, yeah. The Lord of yeah. Gifts. Yeah. Yeah. So they tweaked that a little bit. They but they but they name. show and, and at first you're like, once you start realizing being like, why does Halbrand know all you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's because he's he's a Maiar. Yeah, of course. Right? And um, as soon as he is in the workshop with Celebrimbor, like it was a reveal before the reveal. And any right. it's a, it was really well tuned, I thought, because anyone who knows the legendarium is gonna flip a flip a shit. Like it was great. <laughs> like you're like, oh dude, oh he's helping with the rings. Oh, here we go. It's about to be time for canonical story. I'm in. <laughs> but then if you don't know this, if you haven't read the legendarium, all that you know is that Celebrimbor and Galadriel and Elrond, all of whom are are people that we trust are trying to save the elven culture and that this is how they've decided to do it and how brand is participating and he's helping them. And that all seems great. And so the ultimate mm-hmm. reveal is still preserved for people that aren't aware of what's going on. Like that's good work. That's really good mm-hmm. writing. I think. What about Gandalf, the stranger? Well, I mean, what do you think? I've, I've done a lot of talking here. <laughs> that one's a little tricky for me because it's when you're watching it, you're like, Gandalf is so wise what is this guy's problem? Hmm. And I'm not sure that they totally clarify for the uninitiated in particular why he is not, why he doesn't have full use of language, why he doesn't really understand what's going on, all those sorts of things. And he eventually kind of, the scales kind of fall off his eyes, right? But they don't, I don't think that they necessarily clarify why the guy who is wise in the movies is dumbfounded in the show for most of these episodes. Um, and and so I think that they could have clarified that a little bit more, but I, I, I don't mind that the reveal is sort of obvious. Like we all kind of were like, Oh, that's gotta be Gandalf. I mean, right. Especially if you know the story and you know that like Gandalf came out of a star. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> like no they, kidding. Um, they didn't like hide it particularly. And so that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. It's just like some of the mechanics of it. I'm not, I'm just not confident that it was clear enough, but having this sort of early relationship between Gandalf and the hobbits, Mm -hmm. I think is really smart and is alluded to by Tolkien many times, like that there's a relationship with the hobbits pre Bilbo. Um, And so imagining it this way is great because one, it, it allows Gandalf to be established as, you know, now they can establish him as, the wizard that he becomes. Yeah. But he, they also can establish the relationship that he has with the lowest forms of life in Middle Earth, right? Like he, and I don't mean lowest, I just mean like, you know, like the, the humble, the, the, the little, the, the little the, ones, the little ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. people who are not the warriors and all that, because later on he has that, like he really values the meek. He values their, their hum, their humility and then their culture. And so building a connection from his, from his arrival, well, perhaps a little bit invented, is not inconsistent with the themes of Tolkien's work. And no. then also 
the relationships that are alluded to. So do you have, okay, you said before the show, you have tomes all around you. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Most of it was, I was trying to make sure that I could say with confidence, this Mithril backstory is not a part of the canon. And mm-hmm. I think I can. So that was the main reason yeah, there, were tomes. Anyway, yeah. there were tomes everywhere. But one, I want to, I want to jump in on the Gandalf thing too, because first of all, you're right. It was pretty obvious. Um, their attempt to make it in the finale <laughs> to make it one last time seem like he might be Sauron while across middle earth, Sauron is actually being revealed, right? Like I think it was, it worked for the episode, but that ship had sailed by that point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that was a little, that was a little strange, maybe a little tired. Um, but that whole thing works for me because of Markella. What's her last name? Uh, the actress that plays Nori. Uh, Markella Kavanaugh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That chick can act. Um, the, it was mm-hmm. it was so... I thought it was moving. I thought it was absolutely moving. And the lines that they give to her set up Gandalf's character for the rest of his life in Middle-earth. Like, am I a peril? <laughs> you are here to help. Mm. full stop that is that is the bet and it's and it's um it's humble and it's small and it's a great it's a great statement because it's not a piercing statement that encompasses a bunch of wisdom and knowledge of the world and it's like the wisdom of a child right Mm. and yet it is the deepest thing you can say about gandalf he's not here to lead he's not here to remake the world he's not here to do any of the mm-hmm. things that the elves are supposed to do or any of the things that Gant, that aragorn will later be tasked with doing he's not one of the valar he his only responsibility is to help you're here to be an embodiment of supernatural help and deliverance mm. Mm. and it was just anyone that knows the story and loves it and loves gandalf as a character hears her say that line in the way that she says it and just sits on their couch and cries a little bit. I mean, that, that scene moved me to tears. It was really beautiful. Mm. Um, and then too, the reason that he doesn't know anything yet, I think is a callback to Peter Jackson's films, because when Gandalf is sent back after being, after killing the Balrog and expiring in his human form due to his efforts, right. When he's sent back in the two towers, um, he doesn't remember his name. Oh yeah. And it takes it takes Aragorn looking at him and saying, or is it Marion Pippin? I can't remember which one of them reminds him. I think it might be Marion Pippin. Look at him and call him Gandalf and he goes, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was my name. Right. Well yeah. Sure. I'm not him anymore. I'm something else. But you can keep calling me that. <laughs> right? Like there is this, there's this um shuffling off of memory that's associated with leaving the world of middle earth and going back uh-huh. to the spiritual side of things. So it might've been, they might've gone too far that direction, but it was definitely rooted in something that exists in, in the legendarium. What did you end up thinking about the, uh, the Numenorean storyline, the, the battle, the volcano, the, the way they create the, the creation of, of Mordor. Um, Mordor. And then, uh, you know, Isildur is, Leave it being left behind and the stuff with the the um Adar and things like that. Adar was a really cool character. I think his expression of it's an, it's another expression of Morgothian villainy. Yeah, well it's Morgothian villainy, but it's also brokenness, right? Um in in a callback to the fact that the elves are a 
are a broken people for all of their nobility and their strength and their wisdom. The reason that they're here, the reason that uh, Sauron is still around, the reason that Middle Earth is beset by trouble is because of the elves' failure to heed the Valar. Um, and there is, by virtue of their birth and their bloodline, they yearn for goodness in a way that I think people like all of us, if we're honest with ourselves do, we want to be good. And that's not a bad thing (laughs) to want to be Mm -hmm. good is fine, but you're fallen, right? You're broken essentially down in the core of you um, at war with yourself. And the elves are, are an expression of that. And so to have Adar saying things that make a lot of sense um, it's a twisted perspective on the world, but there's an honest desire to be whole uh, under that character. And I think it makes him believable. Um, he's not utterly black and evil. He's actually just broken like everybody else. Um, that worked for me. Definitely with the Numenorians, I don't, I don't know. Like, so I had a question, an email from a, a friend of mine and a listener to one of the center for lit podcasts whose quibble with the show was the Numenorians and even the elves are not noble in the way that Aragorn's memory of them would have them be, right? Um, well, that's not what Tolkien says, though. Because Tolkien describes them during the first two ages as being, what's the word? Um, kind of like uncivilized. I don't remember the exact word he uses, but as being kind of like fallen and like... Uh, well, proud, for sure. Proud and like not not being what... Er- like. I'd like to. I'd like to go back and look at the or Aragorn's comments on them, and I'd be curious to know how much of it is like a, a vision of them that he is upholding as something to reach for, and whether like that doesn't necessarily mean that because like if you look at Tolkien's other comments where he says the men of that age were like messed up, right? It's just there. I mean, like that, that's just in the Tolkien's notes, right? And well, and, and also like in in the in the response that I wrote to him the point I was trying to make is that it is, they're fallen. Um, And the Numenor, in order for the Gondor of the third age to exist, Mm -hmm. the Numenor of the first and second age has to be fatally flawed. Right. Um, And this is also true of the elves. Both of them are cultures that are at war within themselves. Right. And their descendants are trying to preserve the best things among them and overcome the worst things. Um, and like this is this is so true of Tolkien. He was unbelievably well educated and aware of his own time, and he encapsulated well the battle of culture, the battle yeah. between progress and conservation. And it's one mm. that all cultures are engaged in at all times. Um, and so, yeah. none of these are truly held up as pure. Uh, or wholly noble, like everything in Tolkien's universe takes its nobility from this, from this struggle at its core, um, which I think is just really true to life. But it bothers us, it's, it, particularly in our modern era. It bothers us. I think we like to think of ourselves as essentially good, beset by evil from outside. Similar to what I was saying. When I watched episode. these peoples, they made me think of a mid-century swords and sandals type of movie like mm. like uh uh you know julius caesar it's or there's Anthony ships. and cleopatra there's, or, or there's the ships but also <laughs> there's like it seems like they're pretty clearly trying to make it seem like 
an ancient world. Like they're, I feel like they're actively tying this earlier age to a medieval vibe or a Mediterranean vibe, as opposed to like Robin Hood and Ivanhoe and King Arthur of the Middle, which you get in Middle Ages movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're just kind of tying a familiarity, like cultural familiarities that that the average moviegoer, TV show watcher is going to be able to trade in and and like yeah, that's fair into it, you know, like. It's just you when you're creating something like this for the and and to some degree it's for the masses, right? Mm-hmm. It, to a huge degree, it's for the masses as opposed like the lay people as opposed to the aficionado. Then you 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 have to like tread in you have to trade in what is intuitive, yeah. And so you you know you're gonna find the things that people are going to be in, be able to intuit, and so you know you're gonna have a third age later, and you also know that you just got the Peter Jackson movies twenty years ago or so, which are very medieval in their vibe, right? They're like, yeah, they, they feel in a lot of ways, like, like kingdom of heaven or something like that. Yeah, right. Sure. The movie kingdom of heaven. Um, Good movie. and, and so to, to, to make the Numenorean seem like an ancient Roman, a movie about ancient Rome or something like that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and, and I think, I think that when Tolkien or anybody talks about, nobility of spirit say or nobility of mind or soul or whatever he's talking like about an ideal Mm -hmm. and not everybody in any culture is going to be living up to that ideal right the average person is still going to be the average person and so i think that he most of what when you see things like that you're kind of thinking about the average person being foolish um and that's why you like you know have that's why it's one of the ways you create leaders who stand out in stories. You make right. them the noblemen. Yeah, and I think they do that really well with Elendil and with his sons. Um, the transition between basically a petty lord who's who the, the best days of his house are behind him into the scion of Aragorn, right? Like, yeah, that's um, that's a big transition. And it's going to come down to the fact that he is not like the other men of his of his era, and they're not going to be there long. That's true. That okay, true. more uh, uh, mortar. Okay, so the the visual effects of the mountain going off, the fact that they release a dam and a and a river in order to cause the eruption, that was super cool. I thought that was very visually compelling. <laughs> have you read the science the people like some people have interviewed uh volcanists or volcanologists or whatever and scientists about the viability of all that and apparently like it actually like well it's maybe a little bit overblown so to fantasy speak. <laughs> it like the general concept of it apparently is real like the way what they're trying to do there is like release to create this like pressure in the cavern mm-hmm. and so when you if you did what they did, it would create that kind of pressure that could potentially cause a volcano to erupt. But they were just saying that like, it would probably take longer. Right. Like it would probably take days or weeks or whatever, rather than, depending you know, on two or three minutes. Rather, right. Exactly. Uh, but that's just, you know, that's just movie magic right there. Yeah. Um, it was super cool. The, um, I don't just at, and maybe this is again, because it's being made not for the aficionado, but for the, uh, for the masses as it were, Superimposing the word Mordor over the screen to put a period on the end of it was a little hokey. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> that yeah, was, that was frustrating. Yeah, um, they could. I 
it felt like they, it felt to me like they were like, we don't know how to get this into the dialogue. Right. So we're just going to put it on the screen for the person who doesn't know what, what's happening here. Right. Um, but, but why wouldn't you yeah. then zoom out to the map though? Like there's already precedent for that. Yeah. Zoom out to the map, create, put mortar, stamp mortar on the map. And then you can, you can go across the map, Indiana Jones style to the other. Right. And they the did that place. in the, in the, like the first teaser for the show. They, mm-hmm. they 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 yeah. hand you around the Middle Earth map like it, that would have been way more in in keeping with the tone they're trying to create. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. There's little decisions like that, and part of it is I want I suspect you're trying things, right? And more power to you for trying things. And like next season, I bet they'll tweak some things, and they probably won't be as much slow motion horses on the beach, and right. they might use that map a little more effectively. And you know, most shows the second season fixes things that are you know yeah needs to be tweaked i mean very few shows are perfect out of the gate so anything else that you particularly particular oh uh one thing i want to mention the the filmmaking in some of these sections is so amazing and the the volcano thing with all that orange haze Mm -hmm. that's all practical like that's in the camera that's not post cgi that's they filmed that in woods and then they created it using cameras and lenses, and they didn't do that on green screen and post like ninety percent of it. So props to them for that because that's not you know that's that's not what Marvel does. No, well, it's also the not kind what Star of, Wars does. It's the caliber of filmmaking that I would hope to receive from a project with a budget like this. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Like people say. Uh, oh, what I I could do better with a billion. Yeah, no, no, you couldn't because no, you, you couldn't. don't understand how much it costs to do this or film on location or right. you know, create that effect in a camera, right? Yeah, that was unbelievable and totally spectacular. Uh the okay, can we do can we talk imagery for a second? Yeah. Because I think there are two scenes that stuck out to me in the finale as just utterly fantastic storytelling with the visuals. Um, Mm -hmm. So first of all, the battle between the three blue, the blue wizards and Gandalf, right? Revealed Mm -hmm. as Gandalf. Mm -hmm. Um, He is thrown across the clearing up against the bowl of a tree in exactly the same body position with the same choreography as the confrontation between Gandalf and Saruman in the fellowship. Mm. Um. Saruman does the same thing with his staff and throws Gandalf into the wall in exactly the same way. So that's mm. a, that's a, it's an explicit visual callback to the films, which I was very appreciative of. Then when Gandalf comes into his power and banishes the three of them, they're revealed as wraiths, first of all, with the same kind of visual imagery that Weta Workshop used for the ring wraiths in The Lord of the Rings. Mm. Very cool. And then they dissolve into moths, right? Which is a little hokey, maybe, but I'm I'm cool with it. Like I'm down <laughs> with that, dude. I love it. I think just to make sure everybody understands, this is Gandalf, and this is the kind of person Gandalf is. He uses natural means wherever possible. He cares for these little things, and he understands that the smallest, the smallest of us can affect this massive change right this can be the first domino that falls um so that was really cool i i appreciated the visual storytelling of that scene and then the same thing is true of the confrontation between galadriel and sauron when he takes her away to the raft again in in her mind and you look down at the water 
And she is standing alongside him as exactly the terrible queen that she looks like in the Peter Jackson films, right? When she's denying the ring, which makes the point that when she finally does deny the ring, it's a do-over, right? It's a, it's Mm -hmm. a moment when she's being faced again with an old temptation that is familiar to her. And for Tolkien, that was, that was the thing that makes her a compelling character because she makes the wrong decisions earlier. And then later by making the right decision, not only does she preserve herself, but she ultimately preserves the mission. Right. Preserves Middle Earth. Yeah. Yeah. As a penitent, right? Like we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just that the visual impact of her looking down to the water and seeing Sauron as he is right in his armor as this menacing dark Lord and seeing herself standing next to him as his bride, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, yeah. that's good storytelling. Mm. Um, let's see. What else do we, what else do we need to cover here? Cause we, you know, we only have so much time. Uh, right. What, what, what lingering questions for you uh, are, are, or what questions are lingering there for you, but also like, what are you excited to see how they do in the next season? And what are some things you're looking for yeah. whenever that next season comes? Dude, isn't it like a two-year cycle? I shudder to think about waiting two years for this, but because they just started filming season two not that long ago. Yeah, I, th- I think I don't know if they've even announced exactly. Oh man. Well, I'm. I'm interested okay, you to have, see you have Doom, the second part of Dune coming up. That's oh, oh baby, I'm excited about that too. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with Isildur. Why was he left behind? Uh, that's not canonical. So why does it, why is it happening? And I assume mm-hmm. they have a, they have a good reason for it. I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what that is. I'm interested by, I mean, he's been pretty explicit. The director has been pretty explicit about why they, they compress the timeline. Um, yeah, but that compression applies not just to the Numenorians and the elves, but also the dwarves. So the Durin that is friends with Elrond in the series is I think Durin the fourth, um, However, the Durin that will eventually fall to the Balrog that, that we just saw wake up in the bowels of the mountain is Durin the sixth. Um, and that's based on how long the dwarves live a really, really long way away. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. for it to still be ancient history, by the time we get to the end of the third age, uh, I'm interested to see if they're just going to ax, no pun intended, the next two Durins and just basically use this guy as the placeholder. Um, if, if this is the Durin yeah. that will be, that will be confronted by the Balrog eventually. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to okay, do. Well, about they, they introduced this to the Balrog. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be dormant for another, you know, thousand plus years. Well, you know, don't, don't throw the stuff down the tunnel. I mean, down the, down the, Right. I mean, by the time you know, down the cavern, here's some, here's a way to, to get some perspective on it. By the time the Balrog wakes up and destroys Khazad Doom, the cities of Osgiliath and, you know, Gondor, right. The, the, the realm of Gondor has already been founded um, and is well into the line of stewards at Minas Tirith. So the line of Anarion has already failed and Gondor is being ruled by stewards by the time the Balrog wakes up and destroys the city and turns it into the mines of Moria. Mm. So that's a long way. We haven't even seen the founding of the Numenorean kingdoms in middle earth yet. Right. So Numenor is going to fall at some point. Yep. Gondor is going to be founded. Yep. Um, presumably this, you've got to have the city of Eregion 
falling to Sauron. Falling to Sauron. Uh, that would be quite a battle, I assume. Yep. Um, you've got we've got to figure out what's gonna happen to Bronwyn, Arondir, and Theo. Like, you know, the the I I gotta confess, I struggle to see a reason for that storyline starting right now. Like it made a lot of sense for the in in season one to chronicle the 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 Southlands and Sauron overtaking them finally, but now what? <laughs> well, I think I'm wondering if they might still be like kind of wandering away from there, and there's some kind of a bridge. It's like going to create a human bridge between the mortar that has arrived and the civilization that is the rest of Middle Earth, and like the founding of Gondor, so that like Isildur can connect. He's like with them somehow mm, like he, he okay. ends up being with them and they become part of the founding of that civilization like it's not just all the Numenorians came over on a boat landed at Plymouth Rock and started a city there's Isildur is there he has these relationships with these people and he somehow is able to like sprout up as a leader among them mm. to defend against the Mordor that has come that could work and, like carry them to a, to Gondor and like then they go back at the queen you know the queen says they're going to go back so so uh, Elendil goes back, reconnects with his son. His son is now more strong and more of a leader. And like suddenly Gondor has its roots. Yeah, that makes a lot of um, sense because one of the things that you have in the legendarium is that after the fall of Numenor, Elendil and his sons leading the remnant of the Numenorians, the faithful ones, right? The elf friends. Yeah, yeah. They wash up on the shores of Middle Earth in vastly different places for decades. Right. So, so then what you could have is you could have perhaps some, the Numenor is going to fall soon, perhaps. Yeah. Sooner maybe. than like the book would have it. And because, well, and you know, like the, the, they got the thing with the plants here and King Plants here dying and all that. So then that seems imminent. Right. If not, I mean, they really introduced that early. So I can't imagine they wait too many seasons for that to happen. So if then that remnant washes up and he's already there then some of your legwork from a storytelling perspective is done, especially if you're condensing your, your timeline. Right, and they because haven't it takes spent a much long time, time to area. build Gondor. With, with Isildur's brother. Like, they haven't spent right. as much time with him, right, and yeah, neither yeah. did the films, right? Like, Aragorn is the, is the, the heir of Isildur. He's from that line, the high kingship of Gondor. Mm-hmm. But originally, it was two monarchs, right? It was Elendil as the high king, and then he pretty soon passes the crown down to his sons, and they split it. Their, their thrones are side by side at Asgiliath. So I can see from a storytelling perspective, having that and saying, yeah, Isildur is the important one when it comes to the bloodlines that we're going to pay attention to by the time we get to Peter Jackson's films. Right. Let's just have the equation, leave Isildur where he is and help him, you know, found the city. That might, that might make a lot of sense. Or you have like, does the king of Numenor die and, Elendil marries the queen and there's a much younger brother and like there's there's all kinds of ways you can play that out if you right. wanted to but it does like there there is a lot of although it's not canonical there is a lot of benefit from a story perspective storytelling perspective in simplifying certain things like that because it becomes a lot to juggle it becomes right. a lot not just to juggle as a storyteller but as a viewer right and what you're trying to do is capture the essence of the story, not the particulars of the story. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are particulars that matter to the essence more than others, but you can get to the essence of the story. And yeah, what you have to do is create the noble bloodline that gets us to Aragorn. And does it matter if there's two of, if there's the brother there? Right. I don't know. Like, I don't, probably not, honestly. Yeah, probably not much. Probably not much. This wouldn't be the first time that, you know, somebody adapted a story and 
change, tweak something like that. Um, because like, you know, is it worth giving, is it worth giving him a whole speaking part? Like, because then what you have to do is if you're going to bring that character in and you're going to, you're going to make him as important as what you're describing would imply, you have to do the work to make him real. Right. And I'd rather you stick with Isildur and make him real. Whose name already has an aura, like... Exactly. And then try to to squeeze in this other character that you're not going to be able to give enough time to. Right. And so then you give a short shrift. He doesn't feel lived and he doesn't feel real. He doesn't feel necessary. Just let Isildur be the thread. Like, yeah. And and I think leaving him there allows them a lot of flexibility. My guess is there's even some things that they have not, um, you know, like uh, uh, decided. I'm, Maybe, I'm assuming there's things that they, they're, they're filming now, but... And they've also been really proud and vocal about the fact that they've planned every season of the series for all five. Yeah, but seasons. that doesn't mean that you can't tweak something. Yeah, that's true. That's if you get feedback true. on something... That's the thing about TV. Unlike pretty much every other art form, you can, you can, yeah, you can adjust. You can you can tweak things, some things, and no one has to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish certain Star Wars shows would do that. Except <laughs> Andor, which is perfect. Andor is good, dude. It is really good. Yeah, it's. I think I just said it was perfect, Ian. I'm. I'm my mind is blown. I've been loving it. It's been a, It's been a fun time, actually. There's been. We've been watching Rings of Power. And the new Game of Thrones show and Andor all kind of at the same time as the episode. I haven't watched out. any of the Game of Thrones show. Hey, have you ever watched? Do you know the Anthony Horowitz books, um, the Magpie Murders? I've heard of them, but have not read them. Because there's a new show on Masterpiece, PBS Masterpiece, with Leslie Manville, and it's about it's called the Magpie Murders, and the the whole concept of these stories, like the guy who wrote the books wrote the screenplay, and the first episode is out now. Like you could add it on to Amazon, your Amazon subscription, or just find it on PBS. But it's the idea is there is a novelist who's very famous, like he's kind of like a very successful mystery novelist, but the main character of the show is an editor, is his editor. Okay. And she gets his newest novel, but it's missing the last chapter. But then the author turns up dead. And so then they have to figure out like how does his book end? But then sometimes you're inside the book. So you like his detective in the book is trying to figure something out. So part of like every now and then you're like half maybe like a third of the show, you're in an adaptation adaptation of the book that he wrote with the detective. Sweet. And then sometimes you're with this editor who's now like, what do I do? Epic, epic frame <laughs> so, narrative. That's super cool. Yeah, it's cool. The books are fun and the show does a really good job with it. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting ad- adaptations of, of things out there right now. And I love a good mystery. So as many people do. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, it, okay, get, let, I, it gets a high B from me, man. I thought it was really good. This whole, this whole thing was really good. Yeah, it's not perfect like Andor is. <laughs> it's not perfect. Uh, but of course, Andor is, is uh, they're allowed to tell an original story there. Right. Right. Uh, let's let's plan on doing a, an episode if people have questions because inevitably people are going to have questions, complaints, criticisms of our, comment, yeah. of no, our comments great. or whatever. Yeah, I'd love that. So we'll plan on doing that. But uh, anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I got to say my piece. Um, yeah, if you have if you have something you want us to address, just just you know hit us up at postreads.substack.com. Just find this episode and 
posted in the in the, in the the thread under the comments thread underneath it, and we'll try to address it. You know, especially if there's something in an, or in a, like a mid season episode that we didn't get to, just because of doing right. two episodes on on eight episodes, two episodes of a podcast on an eight episode TV show is not going to be able to cover everything. So if there is something specific you want us to cover, drop a comment. Let us know. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. Till next time. Happy reading, everyone. Thank you.